Welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness on 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. We return to our discussion about the absence of any concern for the actions that led to the invasion by Russia relative to the comments made by President Biden and President Zelensky just this past week on December 21st, 2022. Enjoy. The only comments they make is just a pure, unprovoked act of aggression, which I've discovered is just not supported by the facts. And finally, that had Putin gone into Ukraine, guns blazing, he's got criticized by people of his own country and his own supporters for not going in, guns blazing, and gotten this thing over in in weeks or a couple of months. Of course, to do that would have resulted in huge numbers of civilian casualties and death. Instead, what is clear, at least up to the August interview we alluded to with Scott Ritter is that Putin's military strategy apparently is to move slow but decisively forward to minimize not just civilian deaths, but to also minimize his Russian troop casualties. According to the casualty rate estimates by Scott Ritter that we believe to be ballpark accurate, Russia is losing one combatant for every five to eight combatants Ukraine is losing in the Donbass. And according to the same interview, in war history, one should expect a one to one or one to 1.2 ratio difference, not a one to five or one to six. And since the August 15th interview, those same ratios seem to be consistent and ongoing in Bakhmut, which it appears will fall to the Russians in the near future, with intense fighting going on for months. None of that is mentioned. Anyhow, with that being said, I want to apologize to my guest, Mike Whitney, for that long introduction. I wanted to get that out on the table. And Mike, just for people that are not familiar with Mike Whitney, he is an investigative journalist, and he has been writing on geopolitics and national security issues and economics for many, many years, been following his writings. And he's generally in the ballpark on so many things that are important to trying to get a little bit closer to the truth. So first of all, Mike, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Pedro. I was looking at this article that I want to get to a little bit that that you just recently got published December 22nd today in the UNS Review. It's why Putin's winter offensive will prompt the United States to enter the war. This is not what was being projected by Zelensky's remarks nor uh, Biden's yesterday, but we'll have time to talk and ask you why you think that is the case. But first, I wanted to ask you, Colonel McGregor, he has had a long history of working in the European theater, and he has also shared a lot of concerns that are consistent with this counter-narrative by Ritter that seems to make a lot more sense than what we've been hearing. I'm wondering if you can maybe first talk and speak to his concerns in a recent post that he did here just just this week about a speech given by the Polish vice minister on national defense in which he says there is a probability of a war that they will be involved in, namely Poland, and that they are planning to call up some 200,000 reservists in 2023. And so this ramping up on all fronts and NATO, it seems that they're not as cohesive as Biden has made out. Can you speak to those issues to begin our interview with you? Yeah, absolutely. As it turns out, Colonel Douglas McGregor has turned out to be one of the most reliable sources of inside information because he has so many contacts from his career work in uh, Europe throughout you know, Germany. And he worked in Poland for a while. 
and a number of other places. So he has contacts in all the places that are critical to understanding what's going on in the war. And just on Tuesday, he published an article on the American Conservative. And then following that article, he did a few interviews, which he expressed his great concern that we are headed towards war. And basically, his, his contacts are telling him, first of all, that the Polish Minister of Defense, which would be the equivalent of our Secretary of Defense, is indicating in Poland that they want to call up 200,000 reservists and have them active by 2023. That kind of fits in with the fact that the United States has deployed 30,000 members of the 101st Airborne to Poland and Romania, and Romanian troops are also active within Ukraine. So we not only have uh, reports on the Royal Marines from the United Kingdom serving in Ukraine and a lot of logistical support from American troops, paramilitaries operating in Ukraine, but along with the weaponry and the financing, we have more NATO members actually involved on the ground in Ukraine. And it looks like it's going to get a heck of a lot bigger. Now, let me just precede that by saying the concern we have, I would say, is that people who have been following the war know that Bakhmut has been called the meat grinder. It's a it's a city in Ukraine in the east where the Ukrainian army has been just, you know, sacrificing hundreds and thousands of Ukrainian troops to make and, and Mike, can I interject one thing real yeah. quick? I'm glad you brought up Bakhmut because the casualty figures that, that we, we suggested are maybe a good barometer are back from August the 15th. And this Bakhmut is more recent over the last month or, or more. And the casualty rates are again being reported at what, six to one when you look at Ukrainian to Russian casualties and deaths. And collaborating reports by McGregor included that the combat-ready troops at Ukraine's disposal is now below 200,000. I, I know we're not exact on that, but that's why that language grinder seems appropriate. Yeah, there's an additional importance that we attach to that. The fact that they're sacrificing so many Ukrainian troops in this situation on a city that is not that strategically important reflects things that I've been reading on the neocon websites, which they're saying it's important to maintain the, the cover that they are sustaining the momentum of the war. So mm -hmm. why do they want to sustain the momentum of the war? They want to make it look like Ukrainian troops are still winning so they can garner more support, public support for the war effort. Well, why would they do that if Russia has 600,000 men on the perimeter and in Ukraine itself, and they're just about to unleash this winter offensive? Well, the reason they're doing it is because they're going to make some extraordinary justification for increasing the troops from other countries. Now, we know that NATO, i.e. France and England and Germany, are not going to contribute many troops, if any at all. They are deeply opposed to, to fighting Russia in any capacity and bringing on a third world war. That's not true of Poland and Romania. So I would expect Poland, Romania, uh, the United States to lead a coalition of the willing very soon after some incident takes place in Ukraine so that we actually have troops on the ground. And this is exactly what McGregor was expressing concern about two days ago, is that he's heard from his sources that there's reason for concern. That's not to say the, that we will be sending troops immediately or anything like that, but that he imagines a scenario in which 
similar to Vietnam involvement when President Johnson just came on the TV one day and said, look at my fellow Americans, we have to preserve democracy in Vietnam. And the way we do that is we have to send peacekeepers, ostensibly a humanitarian grouping of troops that will serve only in Western Ukraine. And of course, from there, you're in as deep as you want to be, because then you're in a direct clash with Russia. Mm -hmm. And that's apparently what they want. And he's not a man for uh, exaggeration or expressing open concern about these things. But I, I'm telling you, if you look for some of his interviews, he's in an interview this week with talking a, about McGregor, right? McGregor with right. Judge Napolitano. And you can see it's just a 20 minute segment that is very worth seeing. He's as concerned as I've ever seen him. And the reason is obvious, because we're just a hair's breadth away from uh, an actual war with Russia. Well, let me just add for you to comment on. I think sometimes we, we jump into these discussions so quickly and we forget incredible and terrible toll it's taking on Ukrainians, right? So we've got this terrible, terrible war and that you've got these Ukrainians getting slaughtered by the numbers that we just kind of went over, that if they prove to be true, which I believe they are, how could they not have been mentioned by Joe Biden to the American public? If we're really trying to get at doing the right thing, we need to at least be honest about it. And, and in fact, in Biden's own words, his closing words at the press conference at the White House on Wednesday, December the 21st, 2022, with Zelensky by his side, his last words were, we are staying with Ukraine as long as Ukraine is there, end quote. And that won't be long when you think about that Russia has hundreds of thousands of more combat-ready troops at this moment than Ukraine has, and much more firepower and artillery and weaponry. This is a slaughter, but it's not being reported. And I guess that's what's so bothersome to me, is we have no skin in the game. I don't want to send our troops in there. No way I would ever, ever, ever want to send those troops in there. But the callous way in which people get grinded up in our wars, whether it's in Syria, where more than 400,000 Syrians have died, and we're still counting. Our main forces, moderate opposition, were never moderate. They were they were jihadist type individuals. We just get these chess pieces out there. Hundreds of thousands of people get slaughtered. In Syria, in Yemen, in Iraq, in Libya, and now in Ukraine. And what they've learned from Vietnam, I believe, Mike, is that we cannot send Americans into harm's way because the American public won't put up with it. But as long as it's other people's that are getting killed, and particularly people of color, then that seems to be okay. Well, I'm not only convinced they're going to do it, but there was a little thing that slipped by this week that uh, I think you might find curious be because of the fact that they were so enthusiastic about enforcing the vaccine mandate on recruits and people in the service. And they dropped that mandate last week. Okay. Now think about that. Why would they do that? Because an awful lot of the recruits resist the idea of forced vaccination. And so they are going to be looking desperately, you know, everywhere for more people to fight these wars. Right. No, that's a good point. I want to remind people we're visiting with Mike Whitney. Mike is a, an investigative journalist with a long history of, of writing on geopolitical issues and such. And I guess to me, I always want to repeat or have some type of drill down on the geopolitical side here. So In order to unearth potential foreign policy motivations and what drives them. So, you know, you've got the United States saying, you know, we're going to support you. We've already got $100 billion, what we say, to start to show up, $110 billion. 
you know, war is good for some people when they look at their checkbook and all of that. You know, I think that's pretty evident. That's why we wanted to start the show with that. But the the whole cost to not just Ukraine and Ukrainians uh, to the in the European theater, to those nations that have now been cut off from the oil that was flowing from the Germany pipeline, etc. If we look at that and also look at the claims that Biden made that are accurate but misleading. They're accurate that, yeah, there's the electricity is going out in Ukraine. And yeah, the Ukrainians are going to be facing intolerable weather conditions and freezing conditions and such. But how do you frame that with respect to the U.S. motivations and role in this conflict? Well, no, no one in their right mind who cared about their people, their prosperity, their health, or their welfare would ever conduct themselves in the way or make the choices that these European leaders have done. Europe, uh, particularly Germany, is headed towards a deep recession, and they're already talking about deindustrialization because of the link between GDP and affordable fuels which they no longer have. So a lot of these businesses are shuttered already. Employment is, unemployment is rising. The standards of living are falling. And so quite a few of these businesses, hundreds of thousands of these businesses will be exported to the United States or China. But we're seeing the forced industrialization. These people have effectively tied themselves, lashed themselves to the anvil that is United States policy and thrown themselves into the sea. And it's even worse for Ukraine. No one would wish this on their people. Their people, you know, at least 5 million have already escaped this, you know, fled the country. Another 8 million are internally displaced. They're living without electricity, without power, without water. They're eking by in the Stone Age survival, and their businesses are basically shuttered. So what do they have to look forward to? And the alternative was not to surrender to Russia. It was just to honor Russia's legitimate security concerns. I have the document right in front of me of what Putin was demanding in December, two months before the invasion. And Article 4 states most clearly what the principal demand is. The United States of America will undertake to prevent any further expansion eastward of NATO. That's the demand. That's all they wanted. Just create confidence in us that you're not going to be putting your hostile military alliance, your army, and your nuclear missiles on our border. That's what they're demanding. They're not demanding them any territory from Ukraine. They're not demanding the Ukrainians surrender and humiliate themselves to Russia. They're just making reasonable demands to support their own security. And Zelensky, at the behest of the United States, decided to take his country to war instead. And now his country is being destroyed. That's not a good choice. Well, and to your point, I think if Americans really understood that what you're talking about is what some five minutes says those Tomahawk missiles in Romania and Poland. Romania and Poland. Okay, five minutes, five minutes to Moscow. Okay. In other words, there's no time to really discern what is up or what is down if there's a missile strike. I mean, it's just an un- completely untenable national security breach. It-, it would be almost like you're a reckless leader if you did not seek to rectify such a potentiality. Uh, you would. Be- that's, that's exactly right. Putin would have been totally irresponsible regarding the security of his own people had he not done what he did. But let's put this in context of Zelensky's speech, okay? So Zelensky 
presents itself before Congress last night to raucous applause and ovations, and everyone was very wanted to be as close to him as possible. But the reality is Zelensky did not have to go to Washington. He did not have to go to Capitol Hill and give a speech. They had already allocated and approved the funding for Ukraine. So why did he show up? He showed up to garner more support, to make it look like there's widespread popular support for the war, because that's where they're dragging us. That's the direction the entire media and the political establishment wants to pull us now. And why is that? It's because money and weaponry alone is not going to win this war. They want your sons. They want your daughters. That's the message. That's why he was there. People have to get that through their skulls. This is not a laughing matter. This is World War III. And they understand now with this Russian offensive that there's no way they can succeed with just more money and more weapons, which are just being gobbled up by the minute. In the last few minutes that we have with you, you know, you've been on top of this reporting about this potentiality. It seems like what we always need before we can take that next major step is some type of false flag type of deal. Okay. In other words, some type of provocative event that would then get the American public to say, okay, yeah, we need to step in or whatever, or at least not be as against that idea as much as they would be without that deal. And so this whole concern that the Russians have been talking about, do you give any credence to the issue about this dirty bomb? Can you give us an update as on what basis those concerns have been floated out there? Well, Ukraine had a number of nuclear weapons before the dissolution of the Soviet state, and they conceded, they agreed to hand all of those over to Moscow. So they lost that, but they still have the technicians and the technology to be able to create a dirty bomb. A dirty bomb, it is in some form a a nuclear device, but it just blows, uh, it's not the same as an atomic bomb or a mm-hmm. hydrogen bomb. Yeah, it's using conventional explosives combined with nuclear material. So we're talking about, whereas a dirty bomb's radiation could be dispersed within a few blocks or miles of the explosion, a nuclear bomb is millions of times more powerful, and that cloud of radiation could spread tens to hundreds of square miles. So we still have the technicians and the technology to be able to create a dirty bomb. But there are ways, sophisticated ways that they can, they can track where these materials are being transported. And the Russian MOD, the Secretary of Defense, essentially had information as to where they were transporting this stuff. And they had good information that led them to suspect that they were going to create this false flag. I'll tell you right now, I think the neocons behind this project, if they are behind it, in fact, are sadly mistaken about the effect this is going to be. A nuclear bomb in Ukraine is not going to change the outcome of the war because Russia is not going to allow it to change the outcome of the war because this is an existential crisis. We have, in essence, cornered Russia. They can't behave in any other way than they are right now. So they're just going to have to deal with that. As McGregor said the other day, he said, we have sent a clear signal to Russia that we are not interested in negotiations or settling this affair through diplomatic relations, that this is going to be settled on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And Moscow doesn't feel like it can deal you know, honestly, candidly with Washington anyway. Exactly. As evidenced by Merkel's admission to deceit with the Minsk agreement, as well as Poroshenko's admission as well, Russia feels there are no honest brokers to deal with. So they have no alternative except to pursue the objectives they are right now on the battlefield. 
I think you're right. The last thing I just wanted you to comment on was pretty straightforward. I'm not suggesting this is the case, but what, what we can say with 100% certainty is that you look at what's going on in Europe with their loss of quality of life based on the fuel shortages, et cetera, et cetera. And then you look at the United States, who seems to have benefited economically by now being the great generator of energy, right? They're getting all their energy from us now. They're buying our oil, our gas that's being transported over there. So it's been kind of a business win-win for us. It's not that we don't have any skin in the game. It's that we, we're, we're actually the only entity that's benefiting in any measurable way. Is that a, a false type of perspective? How no, it's very see- true. We're selling them a lot of liquefied natural gas at three times its original price. Russia was actually selling its natural gas to Europe and primarily Germany was consuming 65% of its gas was coming from Russia below the spot price of natural gas. Well, why were they doing that? Because it was more important to Russia to maintain its long-term contracts and to honor them at those lower prices than to adjust. To build, and to build economic relationships with the West. That's what the absolutely. Boys- absolutely. So now these people have essentially shot themselves in the foot and they've destroyed their economy. And frankly, they don't care. They would rather send all of Europe down the sewer and follow Washington's orders than do what's logical and reasonable and will help improve the standards of living for their own people. Well, Mike, we are out of time. As always, I appreciate your analysis. Mike's work can be accessed. Mike Whitney at the UNS Review. He's got a number of articles that are all connected to this event and many other issues as well. But if you want to get more of a counter narrative in order to re-examine your positions on things. Uh, Mike is a great, a great resource. It takes a lot of courage to try to study the counter narrative of something you feel so strongly about. I know it's difficult for everyone, including myself, but it's really a worthy way in which to try to get at the truth because there is a huge information war going on that goes along with all this war stuff we're talking about that really conflates and confuses and makes it very difficult to get at the truth. And again, just to close the show, that's what we're trying to get at. And if you have any comments, please send them to pgatos00 at gmail.com. Send them to pgatos00 at gmail.com. Mike Whitney, thank you so much. We'll be in touch. Thank you, Pedro. Just a reminder, the opinions expressed on bringing light into darkness are my own and those of my guests, and not necessarily those of Co-op Radio. We welcome an ongoing dialogue with our listening public. All questions and comments on the content of this show can be emailed to pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos, the number, 00 at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. Don't be late. Also, we need you to switch on over to the internet if you're not already there to access Lost in Paradise coming up next on 91.7 KOOP. It's a show that evolves around laid-back grooves, both old and new, nothing too slow or fast. Enjoy your time with Chad D. As we do every show, we take you out with Land of Naivety. See you next week.
So 